This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. This morning, I am delighted to be joined by Ilya Preston, who is the CEO and co-founder at PackSafe. PackSafe are a cargo insurtech business based in the United States. And Ilya joins me from Indiana today. Welcome to the show, Ilya. Thanks a lot, Nick. I got my coffee and I am ready to go. Good man. Good man. Yeah, got my strong black here as well. Ilya, great to speak today. Really looking forward to hearing more about the business. Before we get on to that, though, do you mind just sharing with our listeners a little bit about your career, your background, and what led to you starting the business? Yeah, absolutely. So unlike a lot of entrepreneurs that you probably get on the show or that you speak to, I uh, I was not an early entrepreneur. I, I didn't have a lemonade stand when I was six. I, I wasn't helping <laughs> people when I was 10. I, I was definitely a late bloomer. So I, I come from the enterprise side of things. Right out of uh, school, I, I worked at a large industrial manufacturing engine uh, manufacturer called Cummins. Uh, so they manufacture uh, diesel engines and engine components. And, and there I was supply chain strategy manager. So I was essentially building out global supply chain strategies. And I did that for uh, probably just short of five years and you know had a steady progression upwards there. And I got to a point where I think I, you know, I realized that I wanted to go into corporate strategy, uh, and I knew that there were two very common paths to go there. Uh, so one would be to go and and leave and do an MBA, uh, or the other is to jump over into management consulting and and do a consulting stint for for two to three years. And and I chose the latter. I thought the the ROI on that was a bit higher. Um, so I I, I joined. Um, I did strategy and ops consulting with uh, KPMG and, and PwC for about three and a half years. There, I got a lot of exposure beyond just supply chain. So a lot of my work was still focused in supply chain optimization, but uh, got exposure to financial due diligence and IPO readiness and divestiture strategy. And I also got that exposure across a number of different industries. So it was not you know, specific to manufacturing. I, I worked for a very healthy amount of time with, within the tech sector, uh, private equity, uh, as well as uh, healthcare. And that last one, healthcare, I probably spent over half of my time while in consulting, uh, consulting for healthcare organizations. That's really where I got, uh, I think, a, a really up close and personal view of what is and isn't working within healthcare, particularly from that supply chain lens. And that was really the catalyst for me to eventually found PackSafe. Now, before I founded PackSafe, I, you know, somewhere along the way in those three and a half years, I, I realized I, I didn't really want to go back into corporate strategy. I, I think 
a few friends along the way. We probably put together like two or three different business plans. We, you know, we did a ton of market research. We basically did all of the legwork to go out and uh, and start a company, but we never took that plunge. Um, and I, I, I had gotten bit by that startup bug, but but never actually, you know, ended up making the jump until I found an opportunity. I, I didn't think I was quite ready to to start my own thing. I found a, a very small startup uh, that I ended up joining, and um, I, I spent about a year with that startup. Uh, they were building active packaging, active solutions, so temperature controlled packaging for. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And it was during that time that I really got uh, an even more intimate view of what actually goes on in in healthcare and in healthcare supply chains. Uh, I came to the realization that I thought the the real opportunity and the value was not so much in building hardware solutions for the industry, but but more so in contextualizing data and unlocking really, really important insights and uh, enabling intelligent decision making for the industry, and and that's what ultimately led for me and my co-founder Ashok to start PackSafe back in 2018. And so, you know, we are effectively a risk management OS uh, operating system for cold chain visibility control towers. And our mission uh, is to unleash and unlock the value behind supply chain visibility programs. Thank you for that, Ilya. That's such a great description and such a great story, really, of your of your career. And it does seem like a, a natural progression so far. And then a, a big leap of faith, really. We decided to go all in and start the business and look to provide that solution to the issues there in the supply chain world. Looking forward to talking about that. I do see you've got a coffee in front of you there. And as we are in the insurance coffee house today, what is your go-to coffee of choice over there? Yeah, so that's a great question. I really kind of segment this answer into two. If, I, if I'm on the road, uh, I've really grown accustomed to getting uh, iced caramel macchiato. Very nice. Um, and there's a, a, a place here in India. I think it's actually a chain, but uh, it's called Java House. Really, really good. If I'm at home, I prefer warm coffee or hot coffee. And there's actually a brand here. I'm going to show you the bag. Oh, yeah. I hadn't heard of it before. It's called Kayak Coffee, and there's a there's a flavor called Hogwash. That's really really good. I think most of these are Colombian coffees, but that's been in my cabinet here for the last three months, and I've been loading up once or twice a day. Yeah, it looks great. Looks great. And if anybody from Kayak Coffee are listening today, we will happily take some samples, and I'm sure you'll be happy to take any royalties for that advertisement there. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the business then. Could you give me an overview, a snapshot of where the business is in the present day. Yeah, absolutely. So first I'll say, you know, so PackSafe, we're an AI-enabled device agnostic risk management platform that we created, again, to kind of reduce product loss, improve operational efficiency, uh, and optimize decision-making for pharmaceutical shippers and carriers. Mm. Our our platform itself is, is a pretty complex SaaS platform uh, we call it context, and it contextualizes location and condition monitoring data. Uh, it quantifies shipment and lane risk, predicts on time and full, and then also automates passive logger temperature management. Obviously, we didn't arrive at this overnight. To your point, it's been quite a journey to get to this point. Founded the company in late 2018, and you know, my my co-founder and I, we uh, I'd say by by 2020. 
we launched kind of version one, which was yeah. an MVP version. And it was more like we, we had probably five to six pilot customers and we spent the better part of six to 12 months piloting our solution. We got to a commercial iteration of our platform by April of 2021. And I guess you could say the, the rest is history. We, we launched commercially in April of 2021, and now we've been live uh, in the market for you know just about 18 months. Now, I know a lot of startups, you, you probably often hear that, you know, why, why did it take you two years or two and a half years to, to get to your initial iteration of the product? Or why did it take you a year after that to push it to commercial adoption? Uh, but what's important to recognize here is obviously we are servicing uh, pharma and food and beverage uh, businesses, right? So these are drugs or food that is consumed by people. And we are helping these organizations make really important quality and you know safety decisions in many times. So while there are products that I think you can kind of push to the market and validate over time and, and improve our first iteration, our first product that customers use had to be on point and it had to be reliable. You know, we we had to get our ISO certifications, 27,001, 9,001 early on, GXP validation. Everything within the industry, you know, that we serve is, is, is very, very tight. We had to take that very seriously. But nonetheless, uh, we've been live for about a year and a half now. You know, we're backed by some great insurtech investors coastal investors, Midwest investors, as well as uh, visibility and, and supply chain investors. So some great subject matter experts, both on the insurtech side and the supply chain visibility side. We're a team of uh, about 32 here. You know, about half the team is based in the US and or Mexico, and the other half is in India. Great. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Ovi. And in, in terms then of the, the products themselves, what are the product offerings that you have at the moment and how have they been developed over that time? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, what we have is a, a device agnostic risk management platform, right? Mm -hmm. And we basically have a couple of different modules within. So the, the first module is geared towards contextualizing data. And mm. so when you think of, when I say contextualizing data, I'm specifically referring to visibility data, supply chain visibility. Now, uh, companies deploy visibility programs for a number of different reasons. In many cases, it's to improve their customer experience. In other cases, it's to reduce product loss, improve operational efficiency, you know, make smarter decisions, right? And companies end up deploying these solutions, which consist of, you know, sensors, Right, sensors that provide location and condition monitoring. They deploy these sensors. This is not a two-week deployment or a two-month deployment. These are typically multi-year deployments because validating hardware is uh, quite an endeavor. And then, you know, they get these thousands of dots on the map. They get all the live streaming data from the temperature and the humidity and the damage and the location. And and I think there's this expectation within the industry. Uh, that now overnight with the snap of your fingers and with this deployment, all your ailments are going away, right? No more product loss, no more late product delivery, no more damage to, to product. Now you're, you're good. You're, you're golden, but, but that's not the case. And, uh, you know, I think everybody is real or everybody is treating this solution to not having visibility as a human problem. 
meaning now that all the dots are on the map, now I have to surround this with many, many people and many, many teams to actually extract any value from it, right? So I need a data team to interpret the data and tell me what it's actually telling me. I need an intervention team to respond to the dots on the map and actually go out and, and intervene with shipments. I need a, a quality team and you know other people that do various things with the data. And yeah. you know, with, with PackSafe, part of the reason why we started PackSafe is because we see visibility differently. We we see visibility as primarily a machine problem, not a not a human problem. And we believe it has to be that way. When you look at how many data points are associated with just one shipment, right? So like a, a two to three week lead time shipment, you could be looking at 50,000 data points. And when you think of these large enterprises, they have thousands, hundreds, thousands of shipments per week across tens or hundreds of lanes. Uh, there's no, you know, not, not the best team. I think we have the best data science team in the world, but no data science team in the world can extract those patterns, those correlations, those relationships between sensor data, third-party data effectively to be able to contextualize what's happening, to be able to predict and prevent future excursions and losses from occurring, and to really quantify that overarching risk. So to your to your point and to your original question, you know, we uh, we have a couple of different modules. The first module is is specifically uh, designed to contextualize the data that's coming in. And I'll give you an example of what that means. Instead of just notifying the shipper, the pharmaceutical company, that they have a temperature excursion, wouldn't it be nice to be able to tell them what's causing that excursion? Is it a problem on the on the reefer, a malfunctioning reefer? Is it a, a, a truck door that's open or a refrigerator door that's open? Or is it insufficient packaging? So we look at all these historical data points where we're able to classify them and then we're able to diagnose in real time and automatically What's causing those issues to happen? That unlocks module number two, which is more effective prediction. So we can use, if we can better understand looking backwards what's happening, we can then better predict when on time and full excursions or deviations are going to occur. So we can predict, for example, when a shipment is going to arrive late, um, how late it's going to arrive. We can also predict temperature excursions hours before they occur. And then finally, you know, looking at both of those modules, the context, the prediction, we kind of sum all of this information up together. And we found a, a really, really effective model to quantify that risk. Um, so we offer that in a quantitative risk score. We actually have two risk scores. One is geared towards decision optimization and, and weighing various routes or leg trade-offs. And that's what we call aggregate lane risk score. So we can we can take all of the historical risk on a particular lane and, and quantify that and show what that particular lane, uh, what that risk profile is, and which factors are impacting the risk, right? Is it temperature? Is it around airports? Is it dwell time, right? So that companies know what to what changes to make. Uh, and then the other risk score is a live shipment risk score. Unlike aggregate lane risk, this is not towards optimization. This is basically real-time intervention. You see all of your shipments, the universe of shipments that are happening now. Uh, you know which ones are are at risk of going bad, and you can jump in and, and intervene and save those shipments in real time. Awesome. Thank you, Ilya. In terms of the the benefits, you can clearly see the benefits for the customers or for, for the end policyholders, but what are the benefits for 
some of the stakeholders in the insurance supply chain, whether that's the carriers or the brokers there? That's a great question. So cargo insurance, I, I think you're you're probably familiar, but the, the loss ratios are not pretty in the industry. So if you look at the last 20 years, there are more years in the red than than in the black mm. for as a whole for the industry. Um, mm. We believe that the reason for that is that insurers for the longest period of time and, and still to this day are treating the problem of claims resolution as well as underwriting as a predominantly a human driven problem rather than a machine. And again, there are just so many variables, so many data points that it's it's very, very difficult to do this effectively and to quantify and underwrite risk accurately without uh, machine learning involved. So I think insurers can benefit from our data a couple of different ways. So first and foremost is getting that source of truth, right? So for claims resolution, what happens today? Insurers have claims adjustment teams that go out and collect information manually from the shipper, from the receiver, from the distributor, the carrier, everybody, right? And it's all qualitative. It's all, give me your version of events, and then it ends up being this. It ends up being fingers pointed in every different direction. Uh, It's all based on hearsay. It's all based on he said, she said. It's qualitative. We can, again, going back, we contextualize the data, um, and we can pinpoint many times what the actual root cause of an event was, where it happened, who had custody of the particular product. And that helps insurers really expedite that whole claims resolution process. The second part is, is obviously in the underwriting equation. So our risk scores, our ability to predict when excursions are going to happen, enable insurers to underwrite smarter policies, right? And to, to make these policies more dynamic in nature. You shouldn't have to wait a full year to change the risk profile in a particular lane or a particular shipment in Excel when realistically these variables, carrier performance changes, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter, uh, shipment risk changes with, you know, weather patterns and, and routes that are being taken. It needs to be much more dynamic in nature. And I think that's what our platform enables is, is that uh, more intelligent, dynamic and quantified quantifiable way to underwrite and price shipment risk. And in terms of the customers themselves, are they the shippers? Are they the freight forwarders? Or are the customers, the people who are having the goods forwarded, they've got the goods out there in transit? So we have essentially three primary customer profiles. First and foremost are shippers themselves. So this is pharmaceutical shippers in the in the pharmaceutical space. And Predominantly, this is this includes both commercial and clinical, but it's predominantly on the commercial side. So pharma. Number two are food and beverage companies. And again, the, the common theme there is perishables, cold chain, right? Temperature control. The third one are these intermediaries or service providers to both of those industries. So that could be uh, a 3PL that services either pharma or food and beverage. That can be a, a transportation management system, a TMS platform. Um, that can be an insurance company, right? So it's anybody that services these industries that has a use for the data. Yeah. Um, and then we do have a, a small other category. It's basically, we, we group it as other. So everything else, but we have found some stickiness in specifically oil and gas as well. Fantastic. Clearly, it's been a very successful journey to this point, but I'm sure there's been some 
bumps along the way. What's been the biggest challenge in growing the business out so far? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the biggest challenge is probably I I come from a background, you know, where uh, in consulting, obviously, you have the luxury of time. You have the luxury to lean on a uh, hundred other different people that are are really really smart. That um, you know, when you you have the luxury of having analysis paralysis to some extent. And you also have the luxury of being able to get a lot of other feedback from a lot of different people. Now, I could argue that, you know, my, my network now, since I've started the startup is actually much greater, much better, much broader. And I think the access to really, really smart, talented, incredible people is uh, is even much better than than what I had years ago. But the speed and the necessity to make decisions and have confidence in those decisions is much shorter. So you don't have the luxury to analyze 10 different ways which path you should take, right? And one of those critical decision points that we had to make, I think, probably about about a year ago was whether or not we go device agnostic, right? We started off, we've always had this vision of adding, becoming the intelligence layer within visibility control systems, right? So it's we always had the device agnostic vision. But the problem is when we would approach a pharmaceutical company or a food and beverage company in 2018, nobody knew what prediction meant at the time. Nobody knew what risk scores meant because they were still in the process of just getting the dots on the screen. They were still in the process of implementing visibility programs that enable all of this subsequent intelligence. So we recognized that very early. And we had incorporated our own hardware solution, right? Which I'm showing now. It's uh, our our own tracker. Um, And and we did that more or less as a Trojan horse to to get our foot in the door, right? To speak a common language, to come to any new customer and say, hey, we want to provide you with visibility. We want to provide you with the dot on the map. We speak a common language. And we knew over time, as we build on that relationship with visibility, we can start introducing a lot more of the uh, intelligence, um, advanced intelligence capabilities and, and what's possible with visibility. But I think as we saw the market mature and as we saw more and more companies finalize their um, visibility program implementation and start to ask, hey, where's my ROI and what do I do next? Um, we saw an opportunity to go device agnostic because while having a device and having that control over the data is a, not necessarily a bad thing, hardware supply chain management, hardware, firmware management, you know, all the things that come with having hardware as a part of your solution adds so much complexity. But but making that call, you know, to go device agnostic and open it up and, and enable any device manufacturer to effectively be able to work within the, the, the bounds of our platform, um, you know, obviously it was going to eat into our device um, revenue, but uh, on the flip side, it was going to drastically reduce complexity and, and allow us to really focus on our core competency. So I think it's like this, this really strategic decisions like that, where, you know, we're, we're a team of 30 and and probably like five people, you know, five to six people were part of that decision. It's, 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 it's difficult to do at speed um, when you have to make those kinds of strategic decisions. And um, as a startup, that's, that's, particularly difficult. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very interesting course that you've decided to take there. And, you know, I'm sure there's benefits. There's also, you know, an element of control that you, you're giving up there, but obviously weighing that up has, has been really crucial for you. Now turn to the espresso round, Ilya, where the questions are short, sharp and to the point. So yeah. I know you like your range of coffees over there and your kayak coffee there today. Are you ready for the espresso round? I'm ready. The espresso round. So how many people are you looking to grow the business by over the next 12 months? So, so at the end of the day, that will be driven by the growth of the business and the need mm. of the business. But, you know, I, I can say that we, we do have pretty ambitious growth plans for 2023. I think that we'll be looking to probably two to three X the team between now and, you know, and, and the end of 2023. Within that environment, what are the cultures, what are the values that you are building into the company as you grow the business? Yeah. So, you know, core values are something that are, uh, this is the espresso round, so I need to keep it short, but we, we did invest a little bit of time early on in, in coming up with what the core values of who mm. we're looking for and what we're looking for. One of those core values is create magic, mm. right? So we're looking for really, really special generalists that are that can almost be specialists in like five to 10 different things. So that are just really, really great at solving these ambiguous problems, no matter what. No matter what stands in their way, they're they're able to problem solve, right? Mm. And I think we have a, a really robust interview process that kind of flushes that out. Um, but but the point is, you know, the the kinds of people that we bring on early on are just really really talented problem solvers and and generalists that could probably be specialists in a number of different areas. So important. I think, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I I think obviously you know being a self starter, curiosity, those are all kind of par for the course. Our we have another core value that own with pride, right? So I think having that natural curiosity and ownership, everybody needs to have the mindset of being a CEO of their own domain, of their own role, right? Um, and then finally, and and I can't stress this one enough, passion. I I'll give you an example here that that came up this morning. You know, we uh, once a month we do game Fridays, which is where we just spend 60 to 90 minutes playing games. And we, I, I gave the responsibility of figuring out what game we're going to play. Uh, so basically, team gesture to our head of growth here over the last two sessions. And going into this session, he had invested like like four hours in in subscribing to all these different games, testing them out, like really doing a deep dive and like you know, 10 different games and coming with legit like recommendations on, you know, here are the options. Um, I've tested these out. I've flushed these out. These are great for four players. These are great for 16. Right. And I think that just that that speaks to the point that whether you are solving the world's biggest problem in the context of work or you are planning a game Friday, you approach it with passion and always trying to achieve the best outcome regardless of how menial the task may be. Yeah, well, that's fantastic value to be building into the organization. And obviously around that problem solving at at the stage that the company's in, it's very important to have people who are flexible, who can spin different plates, but spin different plates with high quality and with, with high performance as well. But people who are not afraid to pivot and to try different things outside their comfort zone. So it's really interesting. Challenge though, as you look forward, you're saying looking to 2X or 3X the workforce or the team over the next 12 months. How are you going to go about sort of maintaining those values as you do grow and grow quickly? 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to start with, you know, our next phase of growth is going to require conscious investment into culture and, and people. Mm-hmm. So far, myself and my co-founder have really invested a, a fair share of our own time uh, mm-hmm. trying to create the, the the appropriate culture. But, you know, we're, we're kind of approaching that tipping point and, and we'll be here very soon with the next wave of hiring of needing to bring on somebody that's absolutely great at not just building, but scaling culture. So incorporating and, and building a people team essentially yeah. is, is step one. Step two is, is adhering to those interview. Um, so putting, not, not skimping on our interview process. We have a really robust three-step process. We call it, uh, I think the, the three C's, core capacity and capability. Um, yeah. So core is like a cultural fit. Capacity is your ability to solve these ambiguous problems. And capability is kind of your domain knowledge and expertise. I think really sticking to that format while also incorporating the the hiring for those values, those core values that we have is going to remain critical. And and while, you know, the process may be changed or modified um, over time as we grow, um, I think at the end of the day, we'll always be uh, first and foremost hiring for those, for those values that we've created. Yeah. And the fact that you're looking to consciously invest into that culture program and really keep that at the heart of everything that you're doing is really key, particularly at this stage of the business where setting those foundations can be critical. Mentioned that your team, some are based in Indiana, some are based um, across the US, others others in India. How do you find remote working? How do you find the teamwork? What are the challenges and what are some of the opportunities there with that? Yeah, I, I think we're, we're embracing it pretty well. So, you know, I, I think the, the US-based team is spread across seven or so states, all three different time zones or three or four, I, I think three three different time zones right now. We found a way to make it work. And I think it involved a little bit of sacrifice and a lot of empathy from all sides, but uh, we're finding, I think, a pretty good rhythm. So number one, we incorporate quarterly on-sites. Now we do this typically once a quarter, I think three times a year, we do it at our, at our home office or our headquarter office here in Indianapolis. Um, and, and once a year, we, we do an offsite. So I think last year we we actually did two kind of close by offsites that weren't too far from home. We did one in Michigan and we did one in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. This year we're we're doing one in November and we're we're going to be in Vegas. So we we definitely you know and and, and we don't when we get together for these onsites surely you know half the time is is definitely allocated to to work sessions to strategic planning to you know uh, performance review um, you know, to to a lot of broader, higher level business information sharing, but we're also you know bringing in guest speakers. You know, sometimes investors, sometimes um, learning. You know, a, a clinical negotiation expert that can can teach you or teach us the importance of negotiation and how to effectively negotiate. So I think that helps with the virtual component. We also do encourage folks to t- make use of training opportunities. Right, so our our head of growth went through you know a, a pretty robust uh, sales boot camp, right? Because he he came from the pharmaceutical industry, from more of an IoT background. He yeah. he wasn't necessarily a a sales guy before, but he's he's been great at it, you know. And and we offer those same opportunities across the board to all functions. As far as the challenges or, or the drawbacks, I I think 
you know, it's, it's really that water cooler effect that I think a lot of people have noted and talked about that oftentimes some of the best ideas and innovations come in sidebar conversations between meetings, you know, at the end of meetings, before the next meeting, you know, right after work, hanging out in the office. So I, I think there is a component of that that gets lost in the virtual setup. But as far as net net gain versus net loss, I, I think there's much more to be gained. And I think overall employees are, are happier in uh, having the ability to live anywhere, um, work, you know, how, how they want to work in terms of schedule, having flexibility rather than spending one to two hours commuting to and from the office. Right. So I, I think we've really embraced the remote first strategy and, and we'll continue to do so. Penultimate question of the espresso round. Think about hiring from an insurance perspective. Obviously, that's that's where a lot of your key customers are. What sort of value can a high-performing insurance career bring to your business? I know your background's very much on the strategy, on the consulting, on supply chain. Having someone with that insurance industry knowledge, what sort of value can that bring to you? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it always helps to have somebody who's lived the problem right? Mm. We're not quite ready to share what plans we have for insurance specifically, but we see, I, I can say that we see a huge opportunity in bridging the gap between supply chain risk and how cargo insurance risk is underwritten and quantified and priced effectively. So we, we do see a huge opportunity there for the reasons that I've already outlined, I think, earlier in our discussion. But that being said, when when we're looking to bring on folks from the insurance industry, first and foremost, is to give us a sense of reality and grounding in having somebody who's lived through the pain and who understands what is actually happening behind closed doors. Um, so, that, so that's first and foremost. Number two, I think, obviously, we see we're a risk management platform. And the way that we apply data science and machine learning to risk comes through the lens of, you know, our experience in, you know, the majority of our team is either from big tech, they're from, you know, Amazon or Uber and or healthcare, like Baxter and Johnson and Johnson. And, you know, so we, we see, we, under, we basically formulate our risk models and our prediction models through the lens of those personas, not necessarily the insurance industry. And while I think I think insurance industry tends to formulate their risk lens too much from insurance and not enough from the lens of the the shippers or the industries. I I don't want to fall into that same trap on on this side of the fence. So I think bringing in somebody who understands the art and the science of underwriting from the insurance industry is is a huge would be a huge benefit um, to figuring out how to how to better position our product and our solution for the insurance industry. Fantastic. Ilya, I'd just like to finish off by asking you what advice you might have for someone who's considering a startup at the moment, particularly within the insurance space, the InsurTech vertical. What advice would you have for someone and how would someone go about reaching out to you after the show? Yeah, my advice is don't do it. Run, <laughs> run away. <laughs> <laughs> it'll uh, it'll take you off your life. No, I'm kidding. I think first and foremost, before you build anything, my advice would be to spend 
you know, it's it's all relative based on who you're selling to and what industry you're in and, and what you're ultimately trying, what problem you're trying to solve, mm. but spend all of your time understanding the intricacies and nuances of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll equate that back to our own um, to our own analysis and, and experience early on. We know that there's a pro- everybody knows that there's a problem in visibility, right? That that companies lack supply chain visibility. You can go pull that off of any McKinsey report. You can do you know tons of research about it. So it, there's there's nothing novel there, right? But the nuance is that hey, it's not actually visibility that they're lacking. It's the actionable data that you can operationalize and actually drive action uh, that that people can utilize at their fingertips, right? That's the nuance. And sometimes that takes months to uncover. Now, I think there needs to be the the order of operations of how you start is actually critical. And, And it ties back to your cash flow. It ties back to your fundraising strategy. So I think really understanding the problem before you do anything, before you build anything, is probably the single greatest piece of advice I could lend and, and harp on. That's fantastic, right? I'm sure there's lots of people listening out there who are sort of considering launching a product or a service out into the market. I think that's that's fantastic advice. Ilya, right. thank you so much for joining us in the Insurance Coffee House today. It's been fantastic to hear from you, hear your own experiences, and and also to hear some of the great things going on there at PackSafe. So really interesting discussion and um, it'd be great to have you on again, actually, in the future. I appreciate it, Nick. Thanks so much for your time. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, please feel free to look me up on LinkedIn, Ilya Preston, or shoot me an email at Ilya, I-L-Y-A, at PackSafe, P-A-X-A-F-E.com. Thank you, Nick. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as our listeners will be aware, we'll be posting those on the show notes so people can click straight through. Ilya, thank you for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or would like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House. Global InsureTech series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.